Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Welcome to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Ahead this hour, something special for the home cooks out there. We're spending some time with Sam Zion. You might know him as Sam the Cooking Guy. Sam's rise to stardom in the food world is unique. He's not a trained chef, and he wasn't even an especially skilled home cook in 2002 when he started making cooking videos for his local TV station in California. But Sam captured an audience and a few Emmy Awards along the way because his recipes and style of cooking are so completely approachable, non-chefy, totally relatable to families and home cooks. Local TV food spots turned into a very popular YouTube series, and the series turned into two restaurants in San Diego's Little Italy. Sam is also the author of several cookbooks. The latest is Recipes with Intentional Leftovers. We'll get into some of the master recipes and their iterations, like brisket empanadas and mashed potato tacos, a little later on in the show. But first, let's get to know Sam a bit. We think you'll be inspired by his journey from cluelessness in the kitchen to someone who joyfully cooks every day and documents his cooking evolution on YouTube for the entire world to see. Sam, thank you so much for joining us on Seasoned. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. You're happy to be here with us, and you're happy to sashimi. This is an, <laughs> yes, a, an audio medium. However, I do love that T-shirt. The good shirt, local San Diego <laughs> company. Yeah, it's so tough for me, minus all, because I'm like, I'm, I'm a little bit kind of, you know, fanboying out. I'm a giant fan of Sam. Sam is, he's an icon on YouTube. I mean, his videos are so easy for everyone. It takes real food, and this is me, like as a chef speaking. It takes real food and makes it so much more approachable and just amazing. Sam, you're, you are the man, bro. I have this theory that I sort of live by. And it's um, for a lot of people, it's not that you can't cook. It's that you don't cook. I love that. Cooking is like riding a bike. The more you do it, the better you get. I couldn't agree more. When you were little, nobody could ride a bike. You'd fall off. You'd hurt your elbow or your knee or your tush. But now we can ride a bike. And the only difference between then and now is this little thing called experience or practice. You try to make a pineapple upside down cake and it fails. And people will immediately go, well, I clearly I don't have the cooking gene. And I'm like, no, 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 you do have the cooking gene, but let's use your experience. So the second time you go to make that pineapple upside down cake, you know, now, you know, well, it's too sweet last time, even though I followed a recipe exactly. So I'll back off the sugar. It was way too dry. I'll cook less in the oven. It was great. You know, you learn things and people that say they can't cook, they've been either poisoned by what are awesomely complicated recipes online or in videos, or they just don't think they can do it. And maybe they came from a not cooking home, but you can cook. You just need to. I think what's cool about what you do too is that, I mean, you didn't start cooking till later in life. I mean, you didn't even, you weren't even in the industry or a chef or anything. You were in biotech or something, right? Biotech. Exactly. Yeah. I was miserable at what I did, you know, and part of one of the things that ends up always being asked about when I'm in doing any kind of cooking demo or something is how did I make this jump from biotech to cooking and really at the heart of it, chef and you guys is that I was, I was miserable in my career. You know, I would sit with the San Diego union tribune 
Sunday paper help wanted general section with my pointer finger starting in the help wanted general section, which is a crazy thing to do. And I would run my fingers down the column, accounting, advertising, automotive repair, banking, bookkeeping, brake alignment, candy making, computer control. Oh, look, I could do the whole alphabet. And I was waiting for, <laughs> honestly, I was, I was sort of waiting for divine intervention. I imagine my finger would hit some job description or title. Hotel night auditor, didn't really matter. And I'd feel the finger of God in my shoulder and I'd get a chill and I'd be like, this is the one. That's great. And what's interesting about that, it doesn't work that way. Not at all. No. I felt no divine intervention. I felt nothing on my shoulder other than my wife poking at me going, what are you going to do? I had this idea one day about starting a travel show. And not because I was particularly experienced at traveling and not because I'd ever been on TV, but I was so miserable. I sat in my biotech office and, and I thought, you know, I'm going through the newspaper trying to find a job. What if somebody came in and looked at me and said, okay, buddy, you can go do anything you want right now. No regard for income or what people thought or family. Right. What would it be? Quick, answer the question. And the question was answered, hopefully not out loud in my office by myself <laughs> that day, was that I wanted to go back to Tokyo where I had been two years before. And I'm a fairly practical guy. And so I went, all right. The most logical thing is I become a flight attendant or a pilot. Of course. I was never good at math. So I was not going to make it as a pilot. I could be a flight attendant, but I've seen how flight attendants get treated by the public <laughs> on planes. There's finger snapping and I don't want this. And why can't I have another drink? It's just, they're mean. Yeah. And I didn't want to put up with that. My mind then went to, well, how about I go teach English as a second language? I know you don't make very much money. It could get me to Tokyo. And I'm Canadian, so I have this belief that because I speak the Queen's English, I, uh, <laughs> I could teach them better than a non-Queen's English speaker. And then, but the idea of, you know, coming home and saying to my family, all right, guys, here's the deal. We're all moving to Tokyo. I had three sons at the time. We're moving to Tokyo. We're going to live in 14 square feet. Sleep standing up is because <laughs> sleeping laying down is overrated and uh, didn't make sense, so. I had this idea about a travel show sort of based on my trip to Tokyo. I never imagined you could go to a place that you can't read the language, understand people, don't really know what most of the food is and have such a great time. So I thought that could be a show. Right. So I quit my biotech job. I pulled a little crew together, said, boys, we're going to go to Tokyo and Hong Kong. We're going to shoot some demo footage. We're going to come back and I'm going to try and sell this pilot, not knowing how at all. What what year was this? This is 2001. That's not difficult to do or anything. But ignorance is not just bliss. It's really helpful sometimes. It was a great idea. It was it, it was an okay idea. For my wife though, it was a brilliant idea and not because she thought it would happen, but because she knew how miserable I was at my business job. I'm a happy guy. What you see on YouTube is a happy guy. Wake up happy. I go to sleep happy. I spend my day happy. But thou, those eight, nine, 10 hours, whatever it was, each day at my biotech job, I was miserable. Man. So she knew I needed some kind of kick in the rear career-wise. What she was saying quietly in her head was, it's the worst idea ever, but what it will do, it will <laughs> get him to make a move because right now he won't. I had 
what was it called? Oh, a salary oh, that yeah. came from the biotech people. <laughs> That's nice. Health insurance, 401 Health insurance. I had, yeah. exactly. I had these nice things that I was giving up. And a month and a week before we were supposed to go, 9-11 happened. And as I always say, when I tell this story, that day changed thousands of other people's lives much more significantly than it changed mine. But it still changed my life because on September 12th of 2001, nobody was buying a travel show, especially from a guy that had really hardly ever traveled and had never been on TV. Uh, and I couldn't go back to the biotech company. So I sat back in that same couch that I had thumbed through the newspaper on. And within a week, I came across a San Diego local news morning program that had a cooking segment. And as I'm watching this chef in a chef jacket, I don't think he was wearing a toque, but, but the, the, the anchors had on their, <laughs> their silly aprons. He was making a butternut squash soup. I mean, after all, it was September of that year. I remember him using terminology, creme fraiche, for example, that neither of the two anchors on either side of him knew what it was or could pronounce. Yeah, sure. I remember a shot of the pot of him stirring this almost finished butternut squash soup for more than 30 seconds was a shot straight down into the pot. And as I'm watching <laughs> this, I say to myself, this is horrible. Somebody should do this better. Honestly, if it was a cartoon, that light bulb would have gone off above my head. And I went, wait a sec, I can do this better. I have to ask you, yeah. you when you were observing all of this, you were saying to yourself, this is horrible. Were you coming to it just as a regular viewer or because you had some sort of experience? No, no, Marisol, no experience, a regular viewer. I'm looking at this and I'm saying there's, there's no entertainment in this. There's got to be something more interesting to look at than boiling water. Yeah, it's exactly right. So now skip ahead seven, six hours. My wife comes home from work and I say, I've got it. It's not a travel show. It's a cooking show. Fantastic. She goes, oh, my God. Here she is again with this ridiculous amount of support. She goes, I think that's even a better idea. I go, great. She goes, just one thing. I go, what? She goes, you can't cook. I go, well, see, now now just hang on. There. Minor details. Mm -hmm. Minor detail. But here's the genius of this. Because I can't cook, I will intentionally make things easy that not only I can make them, but people watching will be able to say, hopefully, that looks good. It also looks simple. I bet I could make that as opposed to what that chef was doing that day with his, you know, overly complicated and dramatic butternut squash soup. So that's what I did. I shot a demo. I called the crew. Go, lads, we're not, we're not going anywhere exciting. We're just going to stay in my kitchen and we're going to shoot this demo. And this was after I went to every fancy neighborhood in San Diego real estate office Say, do you have any clients that would like to have their beautiful kitchen in a television show pilot? Smart move. And honestly, it wasn't really a pilot. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't even close to being a pilot. <laughs> and, you know, people offered up their clients' kitchens. And there was always something wrong. Too big, too small, too many windows. And so I'm sitting about two weeks before I'm supposed to shoot this in my own kitchen, writing out notes of what I need to be doing to get my act together. And in a thoughtful, pensive moment, I look up into my kitchen and I go, you know, this is supposed to be a cooking show for regular people. Why do I want a kitchen that's in a six and a half million dollar home and is a 4,000 square foot kitchen? Right. 
That's crazy. I'm going to shoot it here. Oh, there you go. So I painted it because it wasn't a great color. By the way, Ralph Lauren barn red. It was perfect. <laughs> it made it look much better on camera. I wonder, Sam, if you remember what you made in as much detail as you remember the paint. I made this thing that we called rainy day salmon. It was salmon that's marinated in soy, sake, ginger, lemon, garlic. I think some mustard powder. I can't remember. You paint it on, you broil it. It comes out looking beautiful. And I was so awkward and so terrible, Marisol. You cannot <laughs> believe it. And here's the problem. I hadn't figured out how to be me. Honestly, I was modeling myself after what I'd seen other cooks do on cooking shows on TV. Yeah. Because why not? When you're trying to learn something, I guess you model yourself, right? Totally. Was there someone you were modeling yourself after? No, nobody in particular. I mean, though, all these years later, I sort of count as personal cooking heroes. Gosh, no, the names are gone. Julia Child. Julia Child and and uh, the Galloping Gourmet. Remember him? Oh, Graham Kerr. Yeah, yeah. Graham Kerr. The reasons I like both of their style is because if they made a mistake, they left it in. Once I figured out who I was, if something went wrong, as it did in my demo, I couldn't find my whisk. The guy that shot it, I couldn't find my whisk. And he goes, all right, I'll just stop the camera. We don't need to waste the tape. You find your whisk. It will pick it up like from before. And I said to him, you know what? It actually feels rather honest to me that I can't find my whisk. Love it. I'm certain I'm not the only person that's been in the middle of cooking something and couldn't find one of my tools. So I left it in. As Graham Kerr would have done, as Julia Child would have done, for sure. If her souffle wouldn't turn out properly, she dealt with it. She covered it up with extra cream or, you know, powdered sugar, something like that. Graham Kerr drank his way through his episodes that I'm not saying, I'm not condoning that, but I'm just saying he had this casual, let's see what happens and hope it turns out. And if it doesn't turn out perfectly, you still get to eat it. And what's the big deal? It sort of gave people permission. It gave me permission as I thought back to be not perfect in the kitchen. Right, right. And I will say today, that's one of the things that people say to me more often than not, you make me feel like I can cook. And it's because of little moments like that that we still, to this day, leave in. I think one of my favorite things in watching your video, Sam, is I we make a drinking game out of it or something. How many times Sam cuts himself in a video? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not something. Cuts, by the way, burns, drops. <laughs> yeah. That video, though, the very first one you made is on YouTube, and you can go see it. And, uh, yeah. But I sent out that demo. And as I'm fond of saying, you only need one person to believe in you in life. Right. One person for your career, one person to be in love with you. And um, I sent my demo out. I got such crap from the places <laughs> I sent it to. Look, uh, you got to be the expert. People don't want to think that you don't know where your tools are in your kitchen. Somebody said, you can't cook in your home kitchen. That's ridiculous. But one vice president of programming at a station here in San Diego, I thanked him in my very first book. A guy named Alberto Pando called me one day and he said, you know, we liked the tape you sent us. We'd love to talk to you about doing something on air. That was 2002. I started in May of that year doing a two-minute, sorry, 90-second cooking segment twice a week on their morning news. And then they would air once, one on a Monday and another one on Friday. 
If you're just joining us, we're talking to Sam Zion about his new book, Recipes with Intentional Leftovers. We're also talking about his big break on local television. Part of your story, Sam, I think is so intriguing that I find so relatable is that it's definitely the story of a person who you just don't give up. You keep trying. You th- if you throw all the pasta at the wall, something's going to stick eventually. And I mean, you've taken the segment that we've been waxing poetic about for so long and turned this into a 2 million subscriber YouTube channel with cookbooks and so many different, you know, tools and knives and just a whole, you, you've made yourself a brand name, which I think is so admirable, so respectable. And you've kind of done it your own way. All of this happened because I wanted one thing. I just wanted to be happy in my career. That was it. I have this firm belief that on our last day on this planet, the money won't matter, the cars won't matter, but what's in your heart will. And if what's in there says you felt like you've lived the right life, you've done the right things, you've loved, you've been loved, hopefully left this place a little better than before you got here, that's the thing that counts. And for people that are in careers right now or jobs or in transition, I encourage you to look inside and try and pull out something that you really like. And look, you have to be practical with this. I'm not a particularly huge sports fan, but when I have this conversation with people and they go, I like to be a football player. I go, okay, well, look, you're 37 and you're 5'3". It's probably not going to happen for you. But it doesn't mean you can't get involved in the business somehow. And maybe it means not that it becomes your official career, but what it means is that you find a way to supplement your life with something that makes you really happy. Because ultimately, isn't that what it's about? You're listening to our conversation with Sam Zion, Sam the Cooking Guy. He's got a brand new cookbook out called Recipes with Intentional Leftovers. Sam's here to save us from mediocre leftovers, so don't go anywhere. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. You're listening to Seasoned. We're going to get into some recipes after a short break. Steak and brisket and so much more. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Our guest this hour is Sam Zion. He's Sam the Cooking Guy on YouTube. We talked a lot in the first segment about the twists and turns Sam's life took leading him to this very moment. He's a bona fide cooking star. And he's happy finally doing the work that he loves. Part of that work is writing cookbooks. The latest celebrates those much maligned cast-offs, leftovers. In a minute, Sam's going to share some of his ideas for using leftover steak. Sam likes to reverse sear his steaks. That's when you start the cooking process at a low heat in the oven and finish cooking the steaks on a stovetop in a hot skillet or pan, or even on a hot grill. Good to know. I'm particularly appreciative for this cookbook because leftovers, well, they're a thing at my house. My leftovers, you know, they taunt me. Um, (laughs) Probably because my family taunts me. Leftovers? And here you've given them... A new life. You've given them a second lease on life. Thank yeah. you. My pleasure. You know, I don't I don't know when my leftover thing began, but because I didn't come to life as a proper chef, it wasn't natural for me to look at something and go, oh well, that could be 75 different things. So I would make a chicken or whatever, lasagna, a pizza. 
And I would eat it like that. I'd eat the chicken on a Friday night and then uh, Saturday for lunch, maybe a chicken sandwich. And then maybe you're still dragging out that chicken on, you know, the next night for some. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way. But before even there's got to be a better way, I would be like, okay, I'm sick. And now I'll just throw it out. And that's bad. Shouldn't do that. I admit I'm not a, it was not a good thing. I quote a statistic at the beginning of the book. I says every day in this country, there's 38 million pounds of leftovers thrown out. And then I follow up by saying, well, it's actually, it's a big number, but it's also BS because I made up that number. But I do have to believe it's a huge number someplace. I bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. Yes, I bought you. it. You didn't read far <laughs> enough, Marisol. So apparently the 38 million pounds of food a day has stuck. I've had other people quote cool that back to me and I go, okay, please don't <laughs> spread that around because it is false. The next sentence clearly <laughs> qualifies it as being nonsense. But a couple of years ago, I started looking at stuff going, okay, I can't, I cannot in good conscience just huck that leftover piece of whatever into the, into the trash. Yeah. By the way, huck is a Canadian term for throw out. I'm from Vancouver, Canada, by the way. Gotcha. Uh, might as well, Robin and I were talking, our producer Robin and I were talking about this book, and one of the things she pointed out was just how straightforward it is. There's not a lot of fluff to it. It's, it's just recipes and thumbing through it and looking through this book because, you know, Sam, I'm a giant fan of yours. And I just love the little, like, the little tiny things that you'll find in here when you're reading through recipes. For instance, the pepper ketchup on page 195 where it's putting things together yes. with step number one and step number two, dip a fry in and say, thank you, Sam. Like, that just makes me laugh so much. <laughs> right. Uh, by, by the way, so for people that are listening, here's how complicated it is. You take some, some ketchup, you squeeze it onto a plate or in a ramekin, and then you take ground pepper and you cover the top of the ketchup so much that you only see the black coarseness of the pepper. And it won't be overwhelming. And you dip a fry into that. Oh, my gosh. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculously good. That's fantastic. So that so at some point I started saying I got to be able to do something with this, and uh, I cook a lot. I mean, of course, I'm always cooking and happy to cook. My wife, who's an amazing cook, doesn't anymore just because I'm I'm happy to do it. But now I'm looking at the leftover piece of steak and I'm thinking, what can I do with that? And and you know things like the the Thai beef stir fry in the book came out of it. And I don't think many people would would immediately think of using already cooked steak in a stir fry, right? You get all the other ingredients done, slice the steak extra thin. And by the way, it's in the chapter that shows you how to nail a steak perfectly. I think the chapter is called a perfectly cooked big ass steak. And it is, <laughs> it's called the reverse sear method. Most people know it. There is no little pink center that you're hoping for. Those days of cutting a steak open and crossing your fingers and your legs and hoping that you get a little pinkness in the middle, it's gone. It's, it's eliminated because this is virtually an absolutely guaranteed system. And all the chapters are set up like this. How to make like a, a master recipe thing. So how to cook a steak and then things to do with that steak. And so one of them is the stir fry. And when you've got a steak that's thinly sliced, and it gets tossed in with the other ingredients in the stir fry really quickly. It's still absolutely delicious, man. Really, really good. And then that just opens the door to everything else. I mean, a, a perfect roasted chicken is sort of the obvious one, really. It was the first chapter I think I really put my mind to. And then, and then what do you do with stuff like that? And so we make taquitos with it. And we make this really beautiful buffalo chicken pizza, except it's braided. It's a little bit more work, but it's gorgeous when you see it and super fun to, 
to bring out for your guests. And it goes to the point of don't eat the same food the same way all the time. And I think that's, I think that's important. I wonder if you could, because um, I, I hear you talk about food with great deal of passion. And we started this interview and you said, like anything else in life, the repetition, the sheer practice of something, right? But where, but where did you learn? Because I have learned, I am not a classically trained chef, but there is a science to a lot of things. And so were you reading magazines? Were you watching food shows? Because back in 2001, we did not have all the options for watching food or no. cooking as we do now. So where did you learn all of this? It really was trial by fire, I think. I made a lot of mistakes. If you watch my early stuff, I wasn't cooking a chicken to make uh, a barbecue chicken sandwich. I was buying a deli roasted chicken. I have advanced. My work has gotten better. I still cut myself and burn myself, but that's honestly really more just me being careless than, than not having any skills and not knowing what I'm doing. I say to people now, they go, I can't cook a steak. I go, okay, well, no. You could buy the book or you could go online and, and, and find it when we've done it in a YouTube episode. But when you go to buy a steak, buy a couple steaks and stand at your grill and practice. Use my method of either the reverse sear or the thing I do when I'm outside without an oven. I turn the steak a jillion times. Like maybe 30 times in the process of cooking a steak and it does the exact same thing. We made, uh, I don't know what we made recently, and I cooked a, a ribeye, and I stood and I turned it a whole bunch of times. So you get the same thing. The middle, top, bottom, all the way through is one even perfect color. And that's really the goal. But it honestly is just this practicing thing. It's going back to riding a bike. If you can't cook a steak, you've probably made one, you ruined it, and you gave up. No, just go back. Go back and try it again. I love that. And try and buy steaks when they're on sale so you're not ruining great steaks. But but that being said, I also say I would rather have one really good steak once a month than a mediocre steak once a week. It's worth paying a little bit more. Great ingredients are going to cost a little bit more. And if you don't want to spend for them, then don't have them all the time. But definitely have them. Sam, there's some fantastic recipes in this book. I mean, I love how simple they are. But one of the things I think the recipes that we're featuring on the website is your Hanukkah brisket. Can you talk a little bit about that recipe? When I'm talking about brisket, I either refer to what I call a Jewish brisket, which is this one, which is a braised, slowly cooked brisket. Or when I just say brisket, I mean like Texas style very likely smoked on a smoker, uh, you know, Love it. wood pit, that kind of thing. This is a recipe that came from Jewish family in Vancouver, Canada for years, years ago. And I've been making it for, I, I don't mean, I don't know, forever. It's become a favorite of a bunch of the administrative staff at my synagogue and they, every Hanukkah and Jewish <laughs> holiday shows up and, hey, can you send me that recipe again? And I tell them, absolutely, it's this deeply rich, beautifully flavored piece of meat that takes a long time to cook unless you braise it or slow smoke it. Well, brisket is, like you said, brisket's a tough piece of meat generally because it's, it it's not a lot of uh, you know, fat in that. It's a tough and you have to cook it you know, slowly to get it to fall apart. Yeah, you have to take your time with it. You know, 
There are a few exceptions to the certain meats have to be slow roasted. Short ribs, for example, uh, there's a recipe in here for braised short ribs. You know, it's like a three hour process and they come out amazing and they're just one of the greatest things on the planet. Yeah. But short ribs you can take and you can throw on a grill and in about 15 minutes, they're fantastic. And I don't think people think about that very often. Yeah, I don't. And we've done that uh, on YouTube. You can go check that out. So, but, but brisket, no. So this starts with, you know, your basic brisket. And I'd say call for a five to seven pound one in here. There's a ton of yellow onions that go underneath in the pot. There's yellow onions that go on top. But you mix this combination of, of tomato paste and uh, brown sugar and soy and Dijon mustard and paprika as a big paste. You rub the top of the brisket with garlic and oil that you've mixed together. You throw onions in the bottom of the, of the Dutch oven. And if you don't have a Dutch oven, they're great. They really are. These big, heavy pieces of cookware are really the best things. Dutch ovens are expensive. So if you don't want to do that, you could buy like the cast, straight cast iron version. Not nearly as fancy, but it won't be nearly as expensive. And get one with a lid because you'll find so many uses for it. So this all gets put together. It goes into a 350-degree oven. And I'm going to say it's probably four-ish four hours, maybe four and a half, till you can take a fork and push it in, and it comes goes in and comes out super soft. That Let that be your guide. And the, the thing to remember about this is just because a chef, a cook, somebody that pens a cookbook says, these six ingredients cooked at this temperature for this amount of time will yield this product. <laughs> Let's remember something. Is your oven exactly 350? Because I know mine are not right this minute. That's a great point. I know if I want 350 in a certain one of my ovens, I have to go to 375 to get it. It's just out of whack. Just because that chef says a cup of sugar is perfect for this, it may not be perfect for you. So I say, look, use a recipe as a guide for inspiration, for a little kick in the rear to get yourself going so you're not making the same thing all the time. But use it as a good guide, hopefully. I mean, somebody told me years ago, I don't know that I've made any of her recipes, that Martha Stewart's recipes often didn't turn out. And I'm sure there's, I've this is my fourth cookbook. I'm sure there's stuff in my cookbook. Oh, my very first cookbook, there was a chicken recipe book came out oh my god i was so excited sure so excited i was on the today show with it it was a huge it was just big i was really jazzed like a week after it came out a friend of mine called me he goes dude the book is great and blah 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 I go thanks he goes i have a, a question about one of the recipes i go yeah whatever the chicken recipe is on page x i go yeah he goes there's no chicken in the ingredient list <laughs> no come on Neil, don't be ridiculous. Of course there is. Flip, flip, flip. That. Oh, holy. Uh-oh. <laughs> goodness. There is no chicken in that lineup. Wow. So. Who missed that? I don't know. I would like to say the editor. Yeah. Blame, let's blame the editor. It's, it's better that way. But the editors do less editing these days than, um, than other people. They're like the general manager of the team, the coach. So we make this brisket. Of course, um, one of the recipes is what I call the world's best brisket grilled cheese or the world's best grilled cheese because there's brisket in it. It is so good. We make empanadas with it. And by the way, knowing, and here's what I want people to get, knowing that you can take this brisket and 
put it inside of pie dough with maybe a couple other things, fold it over, crimp the edges, bake it, and make an empanada of it. Means you can put anything in pie dough mm -hmm. and fold it over and crimp the edges and make an empanada out of it. It's beautiful. Leftover deli roasted chicken, of course. Spam and eggs for breakfast. Now that I say this, it sounds ridiculous, but I think slowly scrambled eggs that are still have some moisture left to them and some small cut up diced pieces of spam that you've sizzled in a pan, those things inside of a, a little uh, pastry pocket with some cheese would be outstanding. And I'm a fan of spam. Spam is delicious. Anything can go in. By the way, I mean, like, let's be real with each other, people. Anything in pie dough, you would probably eat because it's like the best thing ever. It's not terrible. When you talk to Sam, what makes you feel great is you really realize there's no right or wrong here, minus all. You can put, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. It's just food. That's exactly right. Uh, look, I got an email from a guy year, a few years ago. It was like this. I'm trying to remember what uh, the recipe was, so I'll just make up something. Sam, I went to make your say brisket grilled cheese. I didn't have any brisket, but I had some uh, uh, leftover uh, tuna salad. And I didn't have bread, but I had a tortilla. And I didn't have uh, the cheese that it called for, but I had some of this. And I didn't have the, the onions, but I had some green beans from last night's dinner. I just want to tell you and say thank you for encouraging me to get in the kitchen. I mean, the thing he ultimately made bore no resemblance to what the starting point was. But it was the encouragement part that he took away from it. Forgot him there. And now this guy, with this recipe that he may or may not make again, is more inclined to get in the kitchen than stay away because, as many people say, and I'm using air quotes now, I don't have the cooking gene. Well, there is no cooking gene. Look, <laughs> we probably will not become uh, French laundry-worthy cooks, and that's okay. But we're not opening up that kind of restaurant and hoping that you know, the governor of California in the middle of COVID goes there when he probably shouldn't. Wait, did I just say that out loud? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> I, no, no. I'll stay away from it. That, the optics on that were bad. I won't get into it. But so we're not trying to be French laundry cooks. We're just trying to make our families happy with what we make and not the same thing all the time. I know people that live this life. Well, today's Tuesday. So it's time for aunt ruth's chicken every tuesday we make aunt ruth's chicken and i'm like oh no there's only seven days in a week and to me i'm concerned that that means there's only seven things you rotate through in your family mm -hmm. and you need someone to grab you by the shoulders shake you wake you up and say this has to end now the intervention <laughs> yeah <laughs> So at the very least, I say, play this game. Let's say you're going to the store to buy the ingredients for, for Aunt Ruth's chicken. I don't know what it is. It's blackberry jam. It's panko. It's, uh, it's chicken. It's caramelized onion, whatever. I say, pretend one of the ingredients no longer exists. And make it, you know, not the panko breadcrumbs that you could switch for regular breadcrumbs. Right. But, you know, the chicken or the blackberry jam. Find a significant ingredient. Pretend you can't buy it. And look at the shelves and go, what am I going to do now? Right. Right. One of the, one of the dumbest things I've ever made, uh, one of the most delicious things, is something that I call donut masseau. And that's because I couldn't find uh, ladyfingers in the store. And I had it set in my head. I wanted to make some version of tiramisu. 
I'm in the store, I'm back and forth and back and forth and lady fingers couldn't find him. And I'm walking down an aisle and I stop and I go, Hey, uh, little powdered donuts inside. They're kind of like the lady finger things, aren't they? Sure. I'm going to use those. So you take little powdered donuts, the little baby guys, cut them in half. You, you dip the cut side into Kahlua and then you build a small little gorgeous donut masseuse on top of that. You mix mascarpone with a little whipping cream and some powdered sugar until it's super rich and creamy. And that goes on the cut side of the donut, then another donut on top, then more of that. And then there's chocolate sauce underneath and then powdered sugar and cocoa powder. And wow, it's really good. <laughs> sounds awesome. It sounds delicious. And by the way, it's mascarpone. There is no R in the beginning. Everybody says mascarpone, but it's not. It's mascarpone. Mascarpone. Nice. We're talking to Sam the Cooking Guy. If you've been cooking the same old thing the same old way, we are here to help. You'll find Sam's master recipe for brisket on our site, ctpublic.org slash seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. More of Sam and recipes from the book, including a mashed potato taco on the other side of the break. So a soft taco with crispy potato chips on top is a thing of beauty. I'm Chef Plum. You're listening to Seasoned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Lucky us. We're talking to Sam Zion, also known as Sam the Cooking Guy. He's the author of Recipes with Intentional Leftovers, and he's been boosting our confidence in the kitchen and helping us think of leftovers in a whole new way. Sam, we were talking about chicken and brisket. And this is the time of the year for all this stuff, isn't it? Really? Well, that's what I was just going to say, because I have to go grocery shopping and I'm going to look for a brisket. But I wonder if you cook specifically with the goal of doing the leftover? Very often I do. Standard dinner here at home is every night, a big salad with some protein on top. Sometimes we'll have a, a whole steak, but but there's other times when we want steak for to go on top of that salad, but then the but then an extra steak in the refrigerator in, uh, in uh, Tupperware is useful for so many things. Mm-hmm. Chicken is a great example. It's not a whole lot more work. If you have three or four people for dinner, five or six, to cook two chickens. It's the cooking time is exactly the same. Cook once, eat a bunch of times. And once you've made that chicken, my hope is that you branch out and make other things with it. Chicken noodle wonton soup. Use store-bought wontons. Make your own chicken broth if your inclination is to do that. If not, then buy a good base that's in the store. There's all kinds of great broths out there these days. You know, some bok choy, some vegetables in this thing. It's one of the most soul-comforting soups you can ever have and i'm jewish from canada so chinese food is in my veins with along right alongside of my blood they probably share my body 50 50 but we also make uh i make what's called chimichitos and it's like a combination of a chimichanga and a burrito and it's it's, uh, baked in the oven and it comes out crispy and served with just store-bought enchilada sauce you don't have to do your own a thai chicken curry curry is one of my all-time favorite loves there's curry powder always in my home and those little japanese cubes that you use i love it and taquitos speaking of taquito 
The food that eludes me as an intentional leftover, I'm borrowing your term now, Yeah. is the potato. Because my children look at me with the ire of a dragon. Like, lady, you've repurposed everything. You dare try to repurpose a mashed potato? Are you out of your mind? Until Sam the Cooking Guy arrived. And he said, make a mashed potato taco. Because the taco is the fan favorite. Oh, this is the, this is the thing right here. Tell him, Sam. I love this recipe. Okay, so look, I have a restaurant uh, here in San Diego called Not Not Tacos. I love it. Great name. And they're tacos, not Mexican-inspired tacos. Because San Diego's amazing Mexican food, a great uh, Hispanic population. I didn't need to contribute more of what's already there. So I said, we're going to make tacos that are not Mexican-inspired. So there's things like a smoky pulled pork with macaroni and cheese, Korean short rib, a shrimp named after my wife, Kelly Shrimp Taco, and a mashed potato taco, which is very simple. It's a flour tortilla. It's warmed up beautifully, sour cream, perfectly cooked mashed potatoes, which I believe the recipe in the book will give you. I put Cholula or whatever hot sauce you want on top of that, some diced green onion, and- That's the best part, just coming up. I hope this isn't too weirdly incestuous. Potato chips, a little handful of them, crumbled and dropped on top here's the thing they're not just delicious you guys but it's this textural difference that makes it outstanding i always try to make sure there's some component chef you know this getting that crunch all soft is not very exciting so a soft taco with crispy potato chips on top is a thing of beauty and by the way we also repurpose them into very delicious pierogies too. So thank you. What about a quesadilla? A mashed potato quesadilla with those crispy onions? Come on. Of course. Done. Yes. Wait. On uh, years ago on YouTube, we did a leftover steak. Wait, is that in the steak one? Yes, on. grilled leftover steak and mashed potato pizza. Not only are we teaching you how to make a steak perfectly and mashed potatoes perfectly, but now those two get to come together in the most special way ever. Wow. It's so inspiring. Listen, mashed potato tacos. The only other thing better than this book helping you at home would be me coming over and making dinner for you. (laughs) That was a silly comment. Well, let's do that too. That sounds like fun. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, You know, Sam, it's fun. I mean, we're talking recipes and food, and I always love that. But I think one of the things I wanted to point out to everybody that I think is just so amazing is how we started the whole conversation by talking about how not a restaurant person, not a chef that you are, but you've become that now. Like you, Mm. you own two restaurants. Yeah. Uh, But I also have partners that really are the most involved part of us at actually running the restaurant, knowing how much, uh, how much short rib we need. So we're not throwing it out or we're not running out how to deal with the staff and all that. I'm really very fortunate in that I have like the best part of it. I get to be the inspiration for the food, I get to be inspiration for the staff. I get to be the face, the brand, that kind of thing. But look, uh, restaurants are uh, notoriously many parts. And I think the problem people make when they think, well, because I make a good lasagna, I could open up a restaurant and be just as busy as that lousy lasagna restaurant that we just had yesterday. They forget how complicated it is. It is not just about the food. So I can handle the food part. But I kid the other part. Yes, uh, chef, I'm starting to learn that much more these days. But there's people that are well more, well, much better positioned in what they do for a living to handle that stuff than me. But I'll just say say this: 
if you don't have to get into the restaurant business, don't. Mm. It's very tough. Yeah. It's not for the week or so I've so I've heard. It is not. No, no, no. Absolutely. Can we go back to potatoes again? Yeah. Yeah, that's where I was going to go. I was frying right into that too. I mean, first of all, French fries, how multifunctional can that possibly be? You I love it. Taken it and made something called a frittata. Well, I mean, why not? Right. I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at the things that I make and I'm thinking, OK, uh, I put hash browns in a frittata sometimes. Why couldn't I do this? And it's easy and you think about it and it's fun and it's delicious. And it literally is just finding a different way to look at the stuff. Don't make a big batch of French fries and eat half and then throw them out. I Somebody said to me one day when I was talking about the leftover steak and how to repurpose it and turn it into something special, he goes, uh, we never have leftover steak in my house. I go, okay, that's cool. Uh, but if you did, he goes, look, we never have leftover steak. I go, okay, how about this? Make an, a, intentionally make one more steak. Then you can do other things with it. I've already said, cook once, eat a bunch of times. It's that simple. But people are so resistant. <laughs> I want to just yell. But I do get passionate about this stuff. I think my, like, if I could design a, a perfect day for me, it would be me in a circular auditorium, people all the way around, and we're only there to talk food. And it's not just my food, though people could ask my opinion or how I might make something, but I love it when somebody stands up and goes, you know what I like to do? I like to take a piece of bread and do this with it or whatever, make toast like this or just, you know, little things that come out. Like, for example, like using mayonnaise instead of butter on the outside of a like grilled, grilled cheese. cheese. Right. One of the oh, one yeah. of the great things to do in life. One of the great things to do. It's delicious. <laughs> Simple pleasures. Simple pleasures. Yeah. Even better. Outside of a, a sandwich that's about to become a grilled cheese. Uh, a little mayo on the outside, but then a little garlic powder on top of that mayo. And we're not slathering the mayo. We're putting it on nice like butter. Just wipe it down once again so the garlic powder goes in. Now grill that. Now you've just you've just added one extra flavor element that makes it taste like 20. Oh. Oh, makes all the difference, even doing it with chicken. And who doesn't like a grilled cheese, by the way? And there's a roasted red pepper sauce in the book that becomes a soup I saw that. with the addition of just a little extra broth. Now you take that grilled cheese that you've made in it goes to the roasted red pepper soup and you've changed it up. Everybody loves a grilled cheese with tomato soup. I mean, it's mm. just something is common and it's iconic. Exactly. Iconic. But I'm saying make one small switch, use roasted red peppers in a jar, turn them into that sauce and you'll be very happy and make extra, throw it in your freezer. When you're going to cook a little piece of fish or some pasta, you take that out, defrost it in a little pot. And now now you're eating large and you've already got some of the key ingredients just waiting for you in your uh, freezer. Sam, I was, we're talking about that stuff being iconic. I think you are, my friend. I always enjoy my time talking ah, to you. I'm going to call hey. you every morning, <laughs> chef, and have you say nice things to me. It's a good, be a good way to start my morning. Seriously, I love what you do. You make food approachable for everyone. Uh, this cookbook is great, but some of the recipes we've talked about today, of course, will be available on the website, ctpublic.org slash seasoned. Some great recipes there from Sam. And check out the cookbook. Go in there and find it. It's available everywhere. And hey, I do it every week, multiple times a week. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just rewatched your video on YouTube. Go check out Sam on YouTube. Sam, I watched your uh, frying turkey video. I love that one. Oh, nice. But Sam, I, I've, 
I'm obsessed with the fried chicken legs, <laughs> like everything kind of mixed together, dip it up, put it yes. on the bone, dip it, and then fry it. That was a, that was a crazy thing. We took chicken legs, uh, cooked them, took off all the meat, and then took off every piece of cartilage or extra little bone part except for that one main chicken bone, and then took the chicken legs uh, with mashed potatoes and cheese and a couple other things, wrapped it around the leg, and then uh, put it in flour, egg wash, and then uh, cornflake crumbs, and then deep fried that. It looks it looks so amazing. It looks like sort of like a cartoon, big crazy fat chicken legs, but you can just pick it up and just eat all the way through it. It's really good. It looks like a cartoon chicken leg. And I, it I, does. I, That's I, funny. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. That we should have called it cartoon chicken legs. <laughs> you are the man, brother. I always love talking to you. That I'm going to make that for sure. Yeah, you guys are awesome. And I will say my first time on NPR, and I'm so honored. And one of my sons is going to be so proud of his dad. Sam Zion, thank you so much for spending time with us. We appreciate it. Such my pleasure, you guys. Thank you. That was Sam Zion, Sam the Cooking Guy. You can find him on YouTube or his website, thecookingguy.com. The book that will inspire you to cook two steaks or two chickens just for the delicious things you can make with the leftovers is Sam the Cooking Guy, recipes with intentional leftovers. Seasoned is produced by Robin Doyen Aiken and Katie Talarski. I'm Chef Plum. And I'm Marisol Castro. Thanks for listening, everyone.